Hey, welcome to the Muso podcast. For those of you who don't know, Muso is a gig booking platform that connects hirers and artists. I'll be interviewing some incredible guests and uncovering their secret tips and tricks to hopefully give you a better understanding of the inner workings of the music industry. Hi, I'm Matt O'Gorman. Welcome to the Muso podcast. We're running a competition for all you budding Musos out there. Stick around till the end of the episode to find out more. No skipping. Our guest today, I've known since 2008. We met at Splendor in the Grass. I was looking for my bandmates, I think, and she was looking for her friends or phone or maybe both. We crossed paths and we've been mates ever since. She's gone on to do some incredible things in the industry with a strong passion for supporting artists around the country, especially in Brisbane. She founded the Lost Boys Cafe, the Treehouse, Feed Music, and is now the owner of one of the most iconic venues in the country, the Zoo in Brisbane. COVID's been a challenge for venues all around Australia, but Pixie's managed to adapt and lead the way in innovating events and keeping live music alive in the valley. The Zoo's anti-social series has reinvented what live music can be in today's world and allowed for young local talent to thrive and break through. I couldn't be more thrilled to welcome to the Muso podcast, Pixie Wayland. How are you? It's been ages. I'm really good, despite COVID. Here we are. How many years later, the worlds are colliding and the paths are crossing again, which is really nice. Pix, can you tell our listeners a little bit about Lost Boys for those who may not know about it? Because it was such an institution in Brisbane for such a long time. Yeah, it was kind of my first stepping stone into, I guess, running a business and being thrown in the deep end. But it was a little organic sort of vegetarian cafe actually across the road from the zoo. And I think what was kind of the special part about it is it was a really big support network for um, touring musicians. So we yeah. used to give free musos free food uh, when they're in Brizzy just to give them a bit of bit of love on the road. I've always obviously, like most people, like love music and I really wanted to help and I didn't know how. And then it was just one day I was like, you know what? I've got food. Everyone <laughs> needs food. All bands need food. Yeah. How can we how can we do that? So it was kind of just looking at what I had to give and what bands needed and it just made sense. And location wise, it was just across the road from a little known venue called the zoo. It was our neighbor. Zoo's our neighbor. So it was kind of yeah, it kind of made sense how that'll wind a bit of a windy path to the zoo, but it ended up in the right place, I think. What were your memories growing up in Brisbane and watching gigs at the zoo? My first show I went to was Gyroscope, actually. It was pretty surreal. I, I actually still remember the first time I walked in and it was a sound desk. It was a bit weird because the sound desk was right there in the middle. And I remember just, it was just this place that it was so, it was so just like a little home already yeah. before I'd even gotten there and feel very lucky to have a bit of a part in it now. So how did that come to be? Was running a venue something you'd always wanted to do? It was definitely something that just happened, but I, I am a big believer in everything happens for a reason. And sometimes the journey to where you need to be is never directly straight, like it's never a direct path. But with I think with the zoo and with Lost Boys, there was that crossover with music and we always did a lot of music and supported music. It was uh, actually the landlord of Cafe, who's also the landlord of Zoo. Meant to be. So he knew how much I did uh, love music and, and was involved already. Um, and he kind of pitched to me, he was just one day, it was like, how would you feel about owning a live music venue? And it was just like the penny drop. It was, it was like everything finally made sense. And then from that moment, there was a shred of doubt in my mind that that's what it needed, needed to happen. So yeah, it, it was a bit of a process for it to, you know, come off. It was, I was very lucky. It was actually Jock, the previous owner, what's really special about it is she, she was a solo business owner and she yeah. had it for 
24 years. My landlord's dad that offered it to her. So it was his son that offered it to me. So it was kind of like a bit of a full circle. And, and Jock and I have a lot in common and we still talk so much. Like we, she's my hero. Like we talk a lot. So it's pretty rare you'll have that you know, close interaction between business owners when they change hands. Her son's actually started working at the zoo. He's just turned 18. So he's just started working in the last couple of weeks, which yeah. is really nice. Who was the first person you told when you made the decision and what was their reaction? Oh, probably my parents. And where, where, <laughs> I was like, what? Exactly. <laughs> probably my mom and dad. But they, at the time, I think they were just like, because I, I, I always had a lot of ridiculous ideas always. Like just, and they, they're very, they're amazing. They're always just like, okay, sure. And they humor me with it and they never know what one's going to happen. But yeah. It's kind of one of those scenarios like, oh, I want to rely on music band there. They're like, okay, well, you've already got two businesses running right now. So <laughs> yeah. That. But yeah, my parents, I think, were probably the first one. And for those who don't know too much about the zoo, it's probably one of the most iconic uh, music venues in Brisbane. Describe the inside of the venue for those who had never been before, Pix. Well, it's a little different now. It used to have the, like a really low-lying black roof. It was very hot. There's no air con, so it's... Yeah. Um, classic venue, classic live venue, but it's yeah. kind of like a big warehouse now. We've got big exposed rooftops and brick and big red curtains on the stage that we've kept. So I guess over the time I've tried to tried to keep it as much as I could, you know, the authentic zoo experience. Those photos are actually on the internet. Pix, how long was the process to completely revamp the interior? The roof was hectic. So that was, I don't know, it, I actually was with dad one day and we popped our head in. Uh, I don't know why. We just thought, oh, let's see what's in the roof. <laughs> and we looked in there and it was, I, I could see the end, like there's a beautiful big brick wall. It's very old. It's a heritage listed building. It's yeah. a beautiful big brick wall right at the end. And I was like, dad, look at that wall. It's really nice. And I'm like, do you reckon we can pull the roof off? And he was like, yeah, it's just plywood. Not necessarily like a big job to take the plywood. I would down, but it was just so much dust. It was like a yeah. hundred years of dust. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it was this thick. And so like we'd knock a plank out instead of the dust, like coming down like that, it would come down like rain and then like thick chunks of dust. So it was, and we've got yeah. these photos are actually hilarious. They're photos of, of the crew of people that were helping out and we're just covered. I've seen toe. them. That's crazy. Yeah. It was a very big task, but it was worth it because I think it's helped with the heat. Oh, Anyone it has. who's been in the zoo, yeah, would know. Like, the heat was a massive issue, so it's helped with the heat. And it just looks nice. Like, it's got a better sound. It looks nice. Oh, it's a completely different venue, picks. Did you find anything unexpected when you were doing all this revamping? Yeah, well, while we were cleaning up, I, I found some it was really cool. Um, Jock had collected, and we're still starting to do that now, Jock had collected over the years merch from the bands and signed uh, oh. signed merch. So there's some crazy, like there's the signed Pixies t-shirt in there and like yeah, right. Boy and Bear. And so there's some really amazing signed merch in there. So I'm going to keep it and save it and look after it and maybe put it in an exhibition or something because it's just bands that have, you know, signed these shirts. So we're going to keep doing that and try and build on build on the stash. You definitely should. So I guess after all of the renovations, which is such a massive job, what was the biggest challenge moving forward from there? Was it booking bands, changing the brand? Uh, I think the challenging part is like the music industry is notoriously clicky and cagey. Like it's quite yeah. hard to get into. There's not really a direct path. Yeah. You know? And I think the hardest thing for me was, yeah, there's a lot of doubt around who I, like I, no one knew who I was. So I was just this random person coming in and taking over one of the longest running venues in the country. So there was a lot of doubt. Uh, there was a lot of people just you know, I hear what people say. Some and people are like, "Oh, it's going to fail. The zoo's, you know, the zoo's going to fail. Like, it's not going to, it's not going to survive." And there's a lot of doubt, which I think, you know, in the end of the day, kind of fueled me a bit. But 
it was also quite hard to get people to reply to you and get people to listen to you. Yeah. And like booking, I, I think that was one of the hardest decisions was taking over the bookings. And the bookings is the heart and soul of the venue. So I, yeah, I, I took over the bookings probably about three or four months into the, three or four months into taking over the venue. It was hard because no one, no one would write back. No one would respond. And I literally had to get on a plane and fly down to Sydney and Melbourne and just say, hi, I'm a human and I'm, I exist and I really care about the venue and I really care about musicians and I really want to make this work. So I had to really kind of like make a bit of a song and dance for people to you know, write back and take me seriously. So it, it was just, but you know, it's like anything, it just takes time to establish yourself and show that you are kind of worthy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, bookings was definitely the hardest because when I took over, there was usually you book maybe three months out uh, at a minimum. And when I took over, there was nothing, like nothing. So I was chasing my tail for probably like, couple of years. For those of you still learning about the music industry, usually venues will be booked up to four or five months in advance, even when a venue changes hands. It was really hard. I think that was like, that was really difficult. You know, I think with a new venue, coming into a new venue where I was, I was the young person who'd just come there and a lot of people that worked there before were amazing, but they'd been there their whole lives. So I didn't know what was going on. Like I didn't know um, you know, they knew more than me. So coming in and being like a boss yeah. was really tricky because it was about shaking things up and making changes. And it was really difficult to, you know, get that across to people who had been there for 20 years. And it was intimidating and it was actually quite scary. All these people were a lot older and knew more than I did. So yeah, it was, it was just, you know, holding my ground and, and really having a bit of belief that I could do it. So it was a lot of that in the beginning for sure. How long did that process take until things Things started to change. You know, you didn't have to do those trips interstate and the band started coming back. Uh, I reckon it took about two years. Yeah, I reckon it took about two years to really knuckle down and make a difference with the venue and, and even just making like the renovations and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it took about two years. And I guess it, it just came down to showing people that I wasn't going to stuff them around and get it, building that trust Guess, in the industry, which I think is important. I guess in a way, it, it's kind of similar to being in a band. You, you're starting out, yeah. no one really knows you, and you really have to put in the hard yards. But with a venue, how much of a, a role did kind of building up the socials and making your presence there really make an impact? I think that the social stuff was uh, always a bit of a backseat. because, like when I first started, Instagram had kind of only just begun Facebook was like more of a thing I, I hate social so I'm really bad at it we've slowly chipped away I feel like I don't know I get really exhausted by social media it's hard work really hard work so um, I feel like it's, it's a super important part but I've always been a bit like I've got people who definitely help me with that that's something I I mean I'll, I'll, I'll kind of pipe up every now and again if there's something that I need to say or someone sends me something that needs to be addressed but socials is probably one one part of the business where I've like taken a step back because I think people can be really harsh on there too so initially like I would I take things to heart or I'd read something or someone would complain about you know the heat or not having enough beer things that are like first world problems but I would really like read that and get upset about it so socials for me I feel is a healthier thing to kind of be disconnected and just be connected when I am told I need to pay attention to it I guess in your opinion as a venue owner What's the most challenging thing about getting a band to come and play at your venue? Brisbane's a unique uh, one because there's a lot of venues in Brisbane mm. and we're kind of in this weird spot where like pre-COVID, where like 500 is 
we've got like a, a 300 cap venue and then we've got a 700 cap venue. So sometimes people won't have that confidence that they could play the zoo. So they'll go to the 300 yep. and then the next cycle they'll skip us and they'll go to the 700. So it's about trying to find that value add and just there is a lot of options in Brisbane. Um, maybe more for the cool, for the size of where we're at. Yeah, I mean, that's really tricky trying to navigate that. I mean, it's a business based on love, you know, with more, like most businesses in the music industry and bands and artists. It's not, it's not a moneymaker. It's not a, it's not a financially profitable business. It's a, it's a business that you can love and have a full income on. But, you know, like my, most yeah. people in Australia right now, I'm 100% reliant on JobKeeper. With like, so it's not like, yeah, it's not something I could buy a with <laughs> yeah well not yet <laughs> before um before all of this stuff happened how, how did you go about getting on international uh bands radars look i think we, we we were lucky to a degree uh that there was that longevity with the venue as in like people kind of knew it but moving past that I, I put a lot of, well, I like to hope I put a lot of work in communicating with promoters and working really closely with promoters, uh, especially like international promoters and agents. It's really, really important that you are responsive. And I, I think what's unique about the zoo is that there is no, um, there's no middleman. Like it's straight to the top. So if yeah. you have a question, you don't need to ask 10 people. Like I can answer that for you, you know? And I, and I, and I think one of the biggest things I like to really focus on is just flexibility and not a, it's not a cookie cutter fit like there's this this person might not sell that meat like room high like just be flexible with everything you know if it means we get a show we get a show let's work around it like so I think that that's what's a little different for us I guess opposed to other venues is that we've got the ability to just be a bit more fluid with how we operate and and you know get straight to the point and answer those questions really quickly oh, I couldn't agree more it, it's a massive strength of the zoo and which is why it's such a popular venue can we go back to the start of the year now when all of this COVID stuff started happening. When did you realize that this is this is going to affect me directly? Yeah, it's been a really interesting journey over these last six months. I actually had just gotten a job down in Sydney. So yeah, I was in working down in Sydney, got my dream job doing A and R. So, you know, if you go back to January, rewind to January, the zoo was fully booked out, dream job moved to a new city. Everything was like, that was it for me. I was like, career done. Like, I'm just so happy. And then fast forward a few weeks, COVID sets in and there was that day, I think it was like March, the end of early March, like late Feb. And I just, it was basically like the whole industry just shut down overnight. We lost everything. And so there was that. And then, then I lost my job. And so it was this really harsh reality, but you know, I think it's, yeah, it's been, it was, it's been, it was really hard. It was really shit. So like lost my job, lost business shot, lost all our shows. It was dark. Like it was a really dark, dark time. And, but I think at the end of the day, like it was mildly comforting to know that I wasn't alone. I mean, on the surface, everybody, you know, you never, nothing's ever what it seems like people are like, Oh, you're so lucky you've got a venue and a great job. But it's like, no, I'm just like you, I'm on JobKeeper. And yeah. I feel like, you know, I felt like I'd lost a lot. Yeah. Everyone's kind of going through something over these last six months. That's for sure. Brisbane has such a strong music community and I know how it, it seems like everyone's really close up there. How is Brisbane going as a music community at the moment? I think it's going well. I, I feel like we all pull together. I know that I more than usual 
have had some close conversations and support with other venues around Brisbane, which has been really nice. I feel like I can call other venues like the Tiv or the Triffid even and and yeah, have right. reach out reach out and just say, Hey, how are you going? And I know when it just when it happened straight away, like I was on the phone. I was on the phone to JC, I was on the phone to Dave at the Tiv and we were talking and just being like, What are you doing? What do you think? Like how are you handling this? And it was that really in a way like close-knit um, group of people that like yeah. reached out and chatted to each other about how are you handling this? Like, what's your thoughts? And we did bounce stuff around, which was actually really nice. Mm. So in a way, I guess it's kind of brought everyone closer. It definitely has. And I think it, at the end of this, like you'll see, like, I guess it'll just be like, who's left? And and I and I felt like I have, I have a duty of care with the venue to keep it going. Been around for this long. Like I can't, there wasn't a second where I just was like, all right, we can't do this. Yeah. It's just like, how can we do this? And that's the battle right now. It's like, how? But yeah, I feel like I have a duty to make sure it continues and it keeps on moving. Are there a lot of venues, unfortunately, at the moment in Brisbane that have had to shut down? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I, we've lost a few. Like we've lost Crowbar, which was really sad because it definitely yeah. had its niche. But it's nice to know that they've still got the one in Sydney, which is really great. Yeah. Um, we've, we've, I think, I mean, look, I feel like the key venues are still there. I feel like there's definitely still a selection and venues will pop up and venues will come and go. And that's just like any business. I feel like, yeah, the, the majority have remained. They'll, they'll, I feel like they'll keep going. Have you got any advice for the kids now who are probably feeling a little bit daunted by everything? You know, they've put everything into being a muso, a publicist, wanting to be in management or run their own venue one day? Remain vigilant but innovative. Yes. I think that all you can do is just think outside the box because there's always always a solution and and I mean with with the zoo reopening when we when we were in COVID I was adamant we weren't going to open I'm like we can't afford to open with 100 people and so in my head I was like we can't do it not until we can have full capacity there's no way we're done we're not opening until then we're going to stay shut I it was literally just woke up one day and I was like you know what you can't have that attitude because who knows how long it's going to be until you can have 500. So I guess it, it was it was more along the questions of instead of I can't, it was like can, but how? And so that was why we introduced the $40 spend and we, we just recreated our business model because yeah. we can and we had to. So it was just about being flexible and innovative with, with finding that solution. Tell us about the $40 ticket. We rely, and I think a lot of people have, I don't really know this, but we don't actually take any money from tickets. Like we, we pretty much give every dollar from the door to bands and we rely solely on the bar to survive. Um, and this can be really complicated at times because, you know, if people drink at home or they decide not to drink or they have one drink or they have water, we actually run the risk of walking away with nothing or very, very little. And that's on like big shows. So yeah. the concept, the idea for me was like a hundred people. What if like it, it, people don't want to drink that night? Like we had the really real risk of like walking away with nothing. So when I thought about it, I was like, okay, well, let's let's put a security blanket. I actually was going out to dinner and there was somewhere and they were doing like a $90 for an hour and a half meal. And I was like, oh yeah, that's fine. I didn't really think about it. And then I was like, you know what? Like that was so fine to do that. I don't think people would have too much of an issue because like we'll give the money back to them just through drinks. So yeah, so basically how it works is when someone buys a ticket, they pay for the band uh, ticket. Say so it's like $15, $20. Yep. And that money goes completely to the band. And then on top of that, they pay $40, um, which is then reimbursed to them at the door in venue credit. So they get that money back, which they can spend on the night on 
drinks or we've actually got lots of merch. We've made merch. Um, cool. We can use merch. So we've got me and mum made some soy candles <laughs> and we've got tea, t- tea towels yeah. and all kinds of stuff. So I guess it was just like, all right, what can we do? How can we do it differently and how can we make it work? And that was our solution and it's been amazing. Tell me about the response. I- I'm so interested in that because I think, you know, once Melbourne gets up and going again, they're going to have to adapt to something like that. Yeah. I was really worried a bit in the beginning about how people would respond, but um, I haven't had to explain myself once. Like people have just been so amazing with it. So yeah, people people have been great. I think when we first announced Antisocial, the series that we've, we were doing, which has this sort of new setup, which is two sessions. So we're doing a hundred capacity session. And then once they sell that out, they move on to the second. So the bands actually have two option to do 200 tickets in a night so when we first announced this uh we were really lucky in a position that we were kind of the first ones to do it so there wasn't any other options and people yeah. were really responsive so we sold about a thousand tickets in the first hour which wow was insane yeah, yeah i couldn't believe it like we had it was like a bug show and it was like 10 or 10 o'clock it went on sale and 10 or 1 someone messaged me on facebook and they're like oh the ticket links are broken i was like oh my god and so we went on and we're trying to fix it and then I called Oztix and they're just like, Pixie, it's sold out. And I was like, what? It's only been like one minute. Like, what the hell? Yeah. So the response was like overwhelmingly good um, yeah. for that. So, so yeah, it's been really, really great. Um, obviously, like now that that's, we've moved on to a new phase, I feel like we're in a new phase where all other venues are open, a lot of selection, the borders are still closed. Yeah. So in terms of like the artists, we're moving sm- into a smaller and smaller pool of artists, you know, it, they're still amazing artists, but a hundred dollar, a hundred capacity, sixty dollar ticket. Yeah. It's hard. It's a hard sell, like for yeah. a small band, it's a hard sell. So we're moving on to new challenges in the next few months. I feel people have people have been. I think people have realized, and you know, so people, so we should. Is music's a, a privilege, uh, and it is a commodity, and I think that we take it for granted. I feel like COVID has really made us think about reevaluate life and what's important and music's definitely one of those things that was taken away now that we get to have music again I'm really grateful I'm really I feel really lucky and and people coming to watch the shows uh it's a different vibe yeah different appreciation for it and I mean the fact that we're sitting down and watching the shows is a lot more engagement with them as well but I mean for Brisbane as overall like music is so ingrained in the valley particularly and I am we're really lucky that we have so many venues and there's not really anywhere else. You can just walk from one show to another to another and you can you can have a night out and go to three or four venues all in one night and see that many shows. Like we're yeah. so lucky up here and mental well-being, like it's, it plays a huge part in a, lot of, in a lot of people's mental well-being and that's one thing I've noticed too coming back is there's a lot of people that will come to these shows solo, which I think is amazing and they'll just sit there and watch and that's really special that people can do that. Big Sound's going to be different this year. Big Sound's musical Christmas. It's like Isn't my it? favorite time of the year. Like it, I just, I love it so much. But I think that, you know, uh, we will miss it, but it's not going. It'll be back. We'll have it back. And I, I think that it just puts the fire in the belly of all the organizers. And they just want to do it bigger and better. And, um, you know, even if it is in a scaled back online version, it's still going to have some really great resources for people to utilize because it is an information yeah. sharing session. And that's what it is about too. And so I think you can still grab, get all that. You can still benefit from that online. Um, but yeah, next year it'll be back and, and, I think people are going to be even more hungry for it. How have you gone about creating 
that live element vibe at the zoo for these anti-social shows? It was a lot about how can we create a really good experience for artists. Like we, yeah. I thought about putting the plastic chairs in a row because when I found out we had to be seated, I thought about putting yeah, putting chairs in a row and I was like, oh, I can't. I can't do it because I felt like that's just not going to be a vibe, walking in and sitting like you're at a school assembly. It's just not fun. So we kind of bit the bullet and put some money towards getting some really good tables and chairs. So it's like cabaret sort of style. So, yeah, cool. um, and it works. You know, I think people are pleasantly surprised and it looks good and you, you can sit with your mates and we're focusing on the experience because we want people to walk out of there and be like, oh, that was fun, actually. That was not so bad. So, Do you get a feeling in your gut how the rest of the year is going to kind of play out? Are you getting people saying, hey, look, we want to book shows later on in the year already? We've got a lot of stuff, thank God, like starting to book next year. And this year, I, I'm trying to be really conservative with how we're booking it. I am really going based on what we know. So I think like when people are kind of talking about booking in like December, November. It's just too hard to answer. So I think what we do know is we can have a hundred people seated. Yeah. Let's do that. And then if we can have more, amazing. But if we can't, we're okay. So we're really just trying to book with, with around, based around what we know. And, and, uh, well, we were having New South Wales artists coming through, but unfortunately we're going to have to cancel about six shows because of the border. Yeah. But I think I'm hoping, I'm hoping by November we can, we've got some really good shows come from Melbourne and, and Sydney in November. So I'm hoping we can still have them, but who knows? But at the moment we're relying on and we're leaning on locals. And I think Jock, previous owner, always said to me, she said in her hardest times she lent on the local musicians. And, you know, for a long time I I didn't get it, but I was like, oh, it's not really viable. We can't, like, like, they're not a money-making entity like local musicians. They're more of a support network. Yeah. Um, But now... We are. We're relying 100% on the locals, which I think is a really nice thing. And I'm really grateful for having such a rich local scene and musicians available for us. How do you think the festival landscape looks for this year and going forward? I'm really interested to see how they handle it. I feel for the organisers, honestly. Like, I, yeah, their, their whole business model, like I guess ours, has just been completely shattered and pulled apart. So I feel like there's going to be a lot of work on how can they do it differently and adapt there's going to be a lot of adapting i mm. think we will have music festivals but it's just not going to be like we remember it i saw the um the recent sam fender festival over i think it was in in the uk with all the yeah. boxes that didn't look so bad it looked kind yeah. of fun thought... it was like a day on the green kind of i think it's probably gonna we're just like classing it up a bit more now like uh, but yeah, I, look Festivals, I reckon, will happen, but they're just going to be in a different format. I think it'll still be live. Yeah, it might be. We all have to sit in our own little boxes or podiums or <laughs> tables or something. So, How are you feeling about the fact that, you know, we may not see international bands uh, for quite some time, but on the plus side, more opportunities for Aussie Act? Yeah, I think I, I'm, I am excited about that. And I mean, look, there's, it's, it's a double, for, uh, it's like, as for a venue, it's, it is tricky because I've about, I mean, 60, at least 70% of our shows were international. So we had September fully booked Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. And then when the internationals disappeared, we only had two shows. I mean, for us, it is a big part of our bookings. Uh, I'll be really interested to see how we can 
how that changes and maybe it will provide more opportunities um Australian musicians to get out there and, and tour and and hopefully you know without having those international I mean it's all it's all like supply and demand like if there isn't those international shows that are taking those $40 tickets on every Saturday night they're going to go to the local yes and spend their money at local shows which is great which is really good so hopefully they and then build the fan base and discover new music so hopefully hopefully it works in everyone's favor how are you going obviously it's a massive change you were ready to move to Sydney the zoo was fully booked how are you holding up yeah I'm good now I am good like I struggled I I, I was talking to my sister on the phone and she was like when I lost the job I was pretty upset about like the zoo and everything like just there was no end inside at that point either Mm. so and there's no jobs like there's nothing so it's just it was really it was a bit dire she's like oh you should just like watch movies all day and I couldn't comprehend that like I can't like I'm like no I can't I can't just sit around so I've just been I think it just made me work harder I think it's just like everyone's in the same boat and no one's no one's untouchable everyone's had an effect everyone's everyone's suffered in this time one way or another yeah any advice to young musos use the time wisely you know there's a touring and, and playing and playing gigs is just one element of of live music there's there's so much more to it and use the time to write, use the time to collaborate, use the time to do sessions, use the time to work on your strategy or your marketing. You know, there's a lot you can do because um, touring's just, yeah, one tiny part of it. And that will still be there. It'll still be there. And it'll just, people will be hungrier than ever to come and watch your shows. So practice, perfect your art. Killer. So picks now that you're a venue owner, What's some of the craziest things you've seen at the zoo? I'm pretty like numb to most stuff now. Like I've seen a lot, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like kind of used. I'm kind of kind of used to it. But there was like this one time I got called back. And they're like, oh, peace, they want you backstage. And I walked back and this guy was like just chatting to me about the set, like really like normal stuff. But while he was talking to me, he had basically like two naked girls, like just like going out, like they were like, just got, it was just weird. And I'm like, what do I do right now? Like, do I like shoo you out or the girls? I'm like, I don't know. So it was, I was just, I felt like an old lady. It's just so weird. I don't know what to, I didn't know, I didn't know how to react. How naked are we talking? Like top naked and like little pants on. And not much on. it was just, no, I haven't seen anything like that before. And like we can, you can see in the camera in the office what was going on and it was like really hectic. That was weird. This was obviously post gig, right? No, it was like in the middle of the night. Before the gig. This this is wild. It hasn't even begun yet. And like, yeah, so I was like, I don't know how I'm not a prude but I was like this is like so awkward because it was just a normal conversation and it, like in the middle of like the night like before the gig before they even played so, yeah, <laughs> that was weird that was a weird one. Oh, what are some of the strangest rider requests we've had some funny ones like I think like there's some funny Australian ones like that that and you kind of want to give it to them because they're um like they're just trying but like we've had like life-size pictures of David Duchovny and we put that around the office put that like this printed photos of him everywhere like we've done we've done some funny ones I think like the most and then there's some ridiculous ones like you get like ones from overseas that are like five pages long and they're just like a whole chicken and like a buffet meal and I'm like are you kidding me you're in here for an hour yeah how do you how are you gonna eat all this food like <laughs> and they're like 17 cartons of beer it's just like this is not a festival like it's it yeah. we had some weird ones like that I think the weirdest one was like a microwave um, to hit, like to de- like to throw. 
and like hit with a and a hitting stick. It was like a microwave and a hitting stick. What the, was it? Slipknot. It was, also, it was a, and then I'd be like, "You can have it." You don't want to be like, <laughs> no. But it was it was a microwave and a hitting stick, so they could hit the microwave on stage. And I was like, "Really? Do you really need to hit a microwave?" On and stage? if you are BYO microwave, buy it yourself. I'm not buying you a I microwave. Did I you? fully said that. I, I actually said, I was like, I, I'm like, look, I draw the line at the microwave. I'm like, if you want one, you can bring it. 10 bucks at Kmart, literally around the corner in Fortitude Valley. So did they get the microwave? They got a microwave and they attempted to, <laughs> to break it on the stage, but it was really funny because like just didn't dent it. Like it was just... <laughs> the microwave one. Yeah, the microwave one. It was like supposed to be this like shattered like microwave, but it was like, like thrown and it just was like intact. <laughs> <laughs> so many people are Googling right now band-breaking microwave at Zoo as we speak or attempting to. I feel like it would be pretty obvious actually what one it was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your dream artist to come and have play at the Zoo? I've already had my dream gig. British India? Paul Kelly. Oh, British India, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Paul Kelly, yeah. Paul Kelly was my dream gig and that happened. That was like insane. That was the best night of my life. Yeah, I was thinking the other day I'd love spider bait. I don't know why. Like, I, I do love Spider because I love them. But, like, I was thinking, I was listening to them and I was like, I'd really love Spider Bait to play at the zoo. Who else would be outrageous? Like, they've played, they've played before. Last time Spider Bait played the zoo, the stage, it was like in the 90s, the stage, like, collapsed or something. Oh, wow. Playing. Yeah, and they had reinforced the stage now um, with the same stuff from the movie Babe. Um, <laughs> the whole stage of the zoo is actually made from the set of the movie Babe since that, <laughs> that moment in yeah. time. Um, and now I should give you another. There's so many, and my brain is overwhelmed with artists. Kanye West would be ridiculous because I just—he's just such an outrageous human. You, you'd get him a microwave. You'd probably get him a couple. I'd give him a microwave, yeah. And all the Dave Duchovny's he'd want. I love, I love like rock bands, like or like heavy music bands. I think at the zoo, like it's kind of. I feel that's where the zoo. Yeah. Niche. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, what's been your biggest work fail? Doesn't have to be at the zoo either. I was about 18 and I had just started this job doing artist liaison work for Stereosonic. Amazing. Uh, yeah, Stereosonic. I was, my job was to pick them up after, from their hotel. So I had to pick them up from their hotel and then take them to their, the after party. And I had the headliner. And so I uh, went to the hotel and I was in a very obvious car. Like I was in a black four drive and I had pink hair. And um, I was texting them and I was like, hey, I'm downstairs. I'm in a black four drive and I've got pink hair. So I was sitting there at the Hilton, like, or whatever the thing was in the drive through, just waiting. And like these three guys came, opened the door and jumped in the car. And I was like, oh, hey. And then and I was like, are you blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, sweet. And so we're just chatting. And anyway, we were driving and I was dropping them at the after party because they were, they were headlining. And it was probably about half an hour. And uh, we went and like, oh, can we pull over here? We really want to get get some like some stuff from the night out. And I was like, okay, but we got to hurry. So we pulled over and then they're just kind of like dawdling. I was like, oh my God, like, you really got to go. This is like my second night at work. We got in the car and they were talking about where they're from. And they're like, oh, we're from Israel. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, Israel. I thought they were from like America. And then, but I didn't really, they hardly didn't really speak very much English. Anyway, we're going there and then we, we rock up and I pull up out the back and they're like, all right, so you got to go inside and your set's in like 10 minutes. And they're like, no, we're not playing. I was like, no, like you guys need to play. <laughs> they're like, no, we party, come party. I was like, no, I'm working. We're going to go. And they're like, and then it turns out I picked up the wrong artist and the actual headlining artist walked from the hotel, went through the front of the venue and like got refused entry. It was a, it was a 
Christian Mozob. <laughs> so I picked up the wrong artist on my second day of work. And yeah, the real artist ended up like walking through the front door. Like it was a battle for them to get in because um, I had no ID. What were the repercussions of that? <laughs> <laughs> Pixie is relegated from the headliners. Oh, it was a hectic experience because like, I was pretty young and I was, I was like my, when I was trying to get into the music industry and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it was it was pretty bad at the time. But I think they laughed. Like, in, like they kind of explained what had happened and they explained. But I think the band I picked up was like Infected Mushroom or something. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You picked up infected mushrooms to drop them off at a DJ set and a stereo after party. Yeah. Oh, man. Make sure you Google infected mushroom if you hadn't heard of them before. So, but they were really, they were really nice about it. Right. And, like everyone was pretty nice about it. Like even the headliners were like, I told them what happened and they were like, oh, okay. Like they thought it was pretty funny. But... Oh, that's hilarious. Pixie, thanks so much for joining us. It really is. And I know you're going to hope you're saying that it's inspiring the way you've handled all the challenges that you've faced since March. The proof as well, how the anti-social series has been received, not by only punters, but the artists too. What you're doing to keep live music going against all the odds Really is incredible. Looking forward to touching base in the next couple of months and having a beer at Big Sound. Thanks. (laughs) And like I was saying earlier in the episode, we've partnered up with your favourite team to give away two one-on-one sessions with Sasha Chifura, Director of Artist Management Company Foreign Echo, whose artist roster is made up of TK Meister, Eka Vanel, Dana and plenty more. If you're an artist that's looking for advice and guidance on your project, this is a huge opportunity. All you need to do is leave a review or share the podcast on your socials and tag Muso out before the 31st of October. See you next time on the Muso Podcast.